The Bear Down Report Podcast, featuring Mike Page, Logan Brand, Jack Wright, and Ryan Dangle. Bear Down Report. All right, folks, welcome to the most special edition of the Bear Down Report Podcast. It is the end of season awards. We have thought long and hard about who these awards are going out to. First big shout out, Logan Bradley for coming up with these awards. Dude, I am impressed. I am, I am loving it. Logan, great job with that. Thank you very much. You know, very excited. Let's do this. <laughs> uh, before we get into it, folks, we are thrilled to talk about uh, our end of season awards. Just going to th- throw at you guys a couple things that are upcoming your way. Position group analysis. We've got uh, nine different guests to talk about each one of the position groups what we saw in 2020, what we're thinking about for 2021. Already had a few conversations. When you hear my friend Rob Kirkland talk about linebackers, his unpopular opinion, man, gentlemen, I, I, <laughs> I thought, hey, this is a guy we're going to have on a few times, but after what he said, I don't know if, if, if he's going to be welcomed on the pod. So, so we'll, we'll have to see. Big news, the Bears lost in the playoffs. Bigger news, The Bears did nothing with their front office. Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace, and Ted Phillips all returning. Gentlemen, before we hop into our awards, I really want to hear uh, a reason why you should be livid as a Bears fan, why you should be angry. And then the other side, let's try to to look at this in, in a somewhat optimistic way. I want to know why should you be optimistic going into 2021? So gentlemen, let's start off with, let's go around the horn here and let's see why should you be angry as a Bears fan right now? You should be angry because Matt Nagy is going to be the head coach again in 2021. And that's a bad thing because you saw the deterioration of the culture at the end of the year, strictly based off of the things that Mitch Trubisky was saying over and over again. He was not so, you know, cryptically pointing to the shortcomings of Matt Nagy and the culture in general. Um, Literally, I think after the Saints game, he did mention the word culture. And you see that players like Javon Wims, players like Anthony Miller, their actions during this season. You should be angry because Matt Nagy, unless he completely shifts this team's culture, I don't even know how you'd be able to do that at this point. I think it's too far down the road. But you should be angry because it's going to be the same thing. And that's that. I mean, if you listen to the postseason press conference, there's enough angry to go around for days and days. It's going to be hard for me not to get angry just talking about what I'm angry about. Uh, quotable. Have we gotten the quarterback situation completely right? No. Have we won enough games? No. But everything else is there. I mean, I saw more hilarious, you know, like you're trying to lose weight. Am I still eating loads and loads of chocolate? Am I still not exercising? No, but everything else is there. I mean, we're, we're really kind of in a purgatory. Either one, uh, they're just clueless, the leadership, or two, they're in a terrible situation cap-wise and et cetera, and they don't have enough onions to just come out and speak honestly with us. What I would say is what's most aggravating about the Bears and the decision that they made in those postseason, you know, press in that postseason press conferences, 
And I heard Michael Wilbon talk about it. He's awesome because he gets so fired up. But there's no pressure. And there's no sense of urgency. You know, they're, they're comfortable. I just want to keep using the word collaborative over and over again. And as we've talked about before, there's plenty of organizations that have a similar structure where there's a non-football guy in a position like Ted Phillips, for instance. And as I've said before, the difference is many of those franchises are good at it. In our franchise, they just aren't good at it. So it's angry just to feel like you're, you're in neutral. You know, as educators, we talk about this a lot. You know, we get put on some committee and, you know, everybody gets in the room and there's a lot of excitement to start. And then about 30, 40 minutes later or a couple meetings later, you realize you haven't gone anywhere. It's like you're going on a road trip. You get in the car, you're jacked to go. Everybody's excited talking about it. You look and you're still in neutral. That's what this feels like. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is that it's this idea that everything is so obvious and yet they still can't make the change. It's so obvious to everybody that the, a coaching change needs to occur and it's just not happening. And so when you talk about ownership being clueless, yes, that is 100% the case. They're clueless. And it's not the fact that, you know, Ryan Pace talks to Ted Phillips above him. At some point in a football organization, there's going to be a football guy reporting to a non-football guy. And I actually spent a lot of time thinking about that. And that's true because even if the McCaskies hire some sort of president of football operations, the president of football operations is still going to be reporting to George, right? So at some point along the line, it's going to happen. However, George and the McCaskies are clueless. So the fact that they refuse to sell the team and the fact that they're treating the bears as their own like little fun hobby. And that fact that they're just completely content with mediocre results as long as the cash keeps coming in is the biggest reason why we need to be furious. It's total bogus. Mike, you just hit the nail on the head for me. I took some time really trying to think about this, took some time to walk away. Quite a few people were asking us, when are you going to put out your podcast? We want to hear how angry you are. You got to listen to every media outlet that was out there talk about how angry they were. You got to hear every uh, Bears podcaster out there talk about how angry they are. And I wanted to kind of let it settle. And I know that you guys kind of were in, the, in that same spot, right? We didn't want to just give that quick reactionary like everybody else had. I still come to the same conclusion. This franchise doesn't respect its fan base. It, 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 it just doesn't. It... If you came out and said, this isn't good enough and we're going to make some changes, some changes, move Ted Phillips into a different role, have him retire or take Ryan Pace, who I hate to tell Bears fans this again, but Ryan Pace has hit on some really important draft picks. He's not the worst GM the Bears have ever had, right? But he has missed on the absolute most important position. And not only has he missed once, he's missed multiple times. Mike Glennon, get out of here. Are you serious? Mitch Trubisky, I like Mitch. I have supported Mitch. But Mitch is not the guy. Nick Foles, 
If I hear one more person tell me how excited they are that Nick Foles is coming back next year, I will throw up all over your brand new Ikea furniture. It is abysmal. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so angry. I'm so frustrated. And this is a long time after this has taken place. Nick Foles, get out of here. People say, but he won a Super Bowl in Philadelphia. He sure did, and he got on a hot streak. You never watched him play in Philadelphia in his first run. You definitely didn't. You definitely didn't watch him play in St. Louis. That is the quarterback that we have, not the Philadelphia guy. So I, I come back to this. They, they just don't respect the fan base. They just basically came out and like, yeah, we know you're mad, but you don't know what you're talking about, and, and Bears fans are stupid. No, we're not. We are really not. We're, we're, we're engaged and we're passionate about our sport. Now, normally I let you guys go first, but this is something that I've been thinking about. I want to have some optimism. I am a Bears fan. As much as I hate loving this team, I do. I still love this team. And I want to believe that there's something. The one thing that I have come back to is the NFL has no patience. Absolutely none whatsoever. The Cleveland Browns, hired Bill Belichick, and then they fired him. I think about that. Uh, Sean Payton, in his first three years with the New Orleans Saints, was nearly identical win-loss total as Matt Nagy. I don't think Matt Nagy is a very good head football coach, but part of me hopes he can turn this thing around, that maybe I'm wrong and maybe he needs the quarterback to do it. I don't know. Gentlemen, what about you guys? I'm not going to look to the coach or the staff for any kind of optimism. Are you crazy? No, absolutely not. The only optimism there is are the players on the field, especially two that are extremely important to me and to most Bears fans in the entire world, a middle linebacker uh, named Roquan Smith and a running back named David Montgomery. There are some other players that are nice little pieces that, you know, I have hope for. And then, yeah, I'm optimistic about their future careers in the NFL. You look at Darnell Mooney and uh, Jalen Johnson, Cole Komet. But, you know, to have a first-round all-pro caliber middle linebacker, that makes me feel really good. To have David Montgomery, who, if you just watch run the ball, I mean, he runs so low to the ground. He maintains amazing balance uh, after contact. He's got that, uh, you know, second move. He doesn't have the top end speed, but, you know, he ran for that 80-yard touchdown earlier and outran some defenders, and that's all you need. So to have that middle linebacker and to have the running back as a Bears fan, that makes me feel optimistic. I'll piggyback off that because my reason for optimism was along the same lines and it's kind of the run game in total because obviously we all saw how good David Montgomery was this year and how good the Bears offense can be at certain times if they really do get the running game going and they do it in the correct way. But at the same time, I'm also optimistic because I think we're forgetting a little bit about Tariq Cohen and how much he can bring to an offense. He is so dang talented, and it sucked to see him injured. And I think that the offense suffered in a lot of ways that we kind of didn't really think about. I know that he's not going to turn everything around like getting a quarterback would, but knowing that we have Dave Montgomery, knowing that we have Tariq Cohen, that's one 
section of your offense that you can trust is going to be there and is going to do well. So again, very happy about uh, those two players. And I think that's something excited or something to be excited about offensively when really there's not a whole lot to look at. Well said, you guys really nailed that. I, I, this, I think maybe there's, you know, I just wrote down consistency, youth movement and no COVID question mark. Uh, and you guys talked a little bit about the youth movement already. So this is going to seem counterintuitive after we just bashed the decision to keep all of the leadership st- structure in place. However, there is something about consistency. So keeping some of the same people having the same or a similar playbook. Uh, I mean, just think about it, even having to, you know, acquire a new uh, defensive coordinator. When you add that D coordinator, there's a whole new set of vernacular. You have to learn a whole new vocabulary. So imagine if the entire thing was rehauled and the, every single unit across the board was, was learning from scratch. So as much as I don't agree with the decision to keep all these peeps, there is a little bit of positivity in that consistency that it, that just can't be denied. And I mean, if we can play football without COVID, I think once we get to the point where we start experiencing those things, we have all taken for granted so much fans, you know, in the stadium tailgating the roar of the crowd. I, I don't think we're going to fully realize how incredible those things feel and look and are until maybe there isn't. And this is all hypothetical, obviously, but if they can play a football that's that f- football season that's that fun with COVID, I'm just excited to see what that would look like without COVID. Jack, to your point, think about how many teams um, Buffalo and Green Bay talked about the fact that they had what six, seven thousand fans, and that the stadium felt full to them, that it felt like significantly more than that. I think that's something that we forget about is the idea of home field advantage with with players. Um, hearing the fans in the stands being loud and, and being rambunctious. Uh, that is something that's definitely been missed. Crowd noise just doesn't quite cut it. Folks, we want to just take a quick second to give a shout out to Jeff Cadwallader. If you are thinking or buying a selling a home this year, visit GenevaJeff.com today to learn more about how Jeff Cadwallader with At Properties can help you. Jeff knows you need experience when it matters most. Visit GenevaJeff.com or call or text Jeff directly at 630-254-4734. Jeff Cadwallader, guys can't go wrong with him whatsoever. Gentlemen, I want to hop back into this. Biggest need this offseason, what is it? I will say that the biggest need is to bring in a proven quarterback evaluator. I don't know who that is. That's not my job to figure it out, but something that really got me thinking was an article by Dan Pompey in the athletic. Um, He wrote about the bears QB scenario and kind of what needs to happen. And one thing that he suggested was forming a quarterback evaluation team. And the more that I read through it, the more I liked it. I mean, bringing in smart people is an obvious thing, but I think that the bears in some scenarios have, have maybe been a little cheap when it comes to that. I don't think you can, spend enough money on getting the right guys in to be able to tell you who to pick or who to sign, who to trade for, whatever. But it just, it, there just needs to be different minds, different brains coming into Hallis Hall, people who have proven their ability to be able to scout a quarterback, evaluate them, develop that talent, 
somebody, somebody who knows it and more than one somebody, multiple people, because you just have to stop doing what you've been doing over and over again. So I think the biggest offseason need is getting smarter people in the building when it comes to quarterbacks. I'm going to use the Green Bay Packers as the standard. So if you want to look at the Packers and you want to look at a team that we need to beat, right? They're in the final four. Then you need to look at the structure of their team and decide what it is that you need to acquire to be able to beat them, right? They're in the league. You beat them, you beat the Vikings and you beat Detroit, right? And then you're going to sort of use that as your momentum, and your litmus test to see if you can beat, beat other teams. Definitely a quarterback. We've got Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, right? And um, Josh Allen. You need an elite quarterback. There's no doubt about that. Your, your point is, is spot on, Logan. And then I wrote down, I don't know, O-line, pass rushers, defensive back depth, an all-pro wide receiver. So if you're going to still go with, you know, the Packers as the standard, you know, do we have anybody that's like, Adams, anybody that electric? Even if you keep A-Rob, which I don't think we will, you don't have anybody like that. You clearly don't have anybody like Aaron Rodgers, and you're probably not going to get them anytime soon. Okay, so then where can you go next? Well, you might be able to continue to work off that O-line that has some momentum and clearly got better. Um, And I think you're not far off on the D-line. You just need some legit pass rushers. You need an edge rusher that can put pressure – Here's the point. If you're not going to get a quarterback as good as Aaron Rodgers, then you better get some players that can at least pressure Aaron Rodgers because you're not going to beat the Packers and Aaron Rodgers unless you in some way, shape or form, hurry him or sack him or knock him down or pick him. Okay. So I I think of all those positions and you can make a case for any of them, really, I think to have a, you know, a legit um, pass rush, has got to be one of the top priorities in the off season. You know, you, you, you kind of threw in OL, you know, the offensive line, you just kind of threw it in there uh, offhandedly. And for me, that's my biggest need. You know, I'm going into film right now on left tackle free agents and kind of uh, evaluating them versus Charles Leno, who I despise. Uh, so badly it's a joke they need to cut Leno so bad he's a pillow back there Uh, he can't run anywhere he can't run 10 feet to block a dude it's insane so I'm going to go offensive line particularly uh, left tackle to be really specific but I would really have no problem cutting Massey and going after a right tackle as well but imagining the left side of that line from left to right going stud left tackle, not Charles Leno, Cody Whitehair, Sam Mustafer, and James Daniels as the right guard, you know, going from left to right solid, but that is all assuming that you get that stud left tackle and that's going to improve everything. It's going to improve the run game. It's going to improve the quarterback play. If you get that stud left tackle, I'm going to feel really, really a lot better about the offense in 2021. So we'll see where my film breakdown takes me on, on uh, that position. For me, guys, it's, it's a word depth. They just didn't have any depth this season. No depth Uh, where, where 
Mike, your O-line point, I definitely think they need to draft somebody, uh, but I just don't see them having any depth. If, if, some, if one of their starters gets hurt, I mean, we're, we're back in a world of hurt. So offensive line, running back, linebacker, they did not have an answer when Roquan went down. Manti Teo, maybe, maybe he comes back. Maybe he plays better after being a year in the system. I'm not really sure about that, but they just didn't seem to have any depth there whatsoever. Wide receiver, uh, Javon Wims has got to be gone. Anthony Miller's got to be gone. Uh, Allen Robinson is more than likely going to be gone. Darnell Mooney can't catch it all by himself. And so I just think it needs to be depth. All right, gentlemen been waiting for this. Logan, thank you so much for setting this up, for, for putting these awards together. I think you did a great job with it. This is our first time around, so gentlemen, this is how it's going to work. I've made sure to put each one of you in that first spot and rotating you so that each of you gets an opportunity to go first with each one of these. If we have a consensus, we will put together this is the consensus win or this is the consensus player. Uh, if not, we'll, we'll talk about it later. That's fine, but uh, I'm excited to hop into these and and the one that we're going to start off with right off the bat. So, Logan, you're going to go first on this one. That is the win of the year. Chicago Bears win of the year 2020. Logan, what was it? Who doesn't love a nice week one win? Starting the season off 1-0. and Oh, nothing is better than that. This year, it didn't look like that was going to happen as the Bears were down 23-6. to with I believe about a minute and a half left in the third quarter against the Lions in Detroit. They ended up winning that game. It was incredible. Mitch Trubisky's stat line was beautiful, as it was a couple of times this year. He made a lot of nice throws down the stretch, namely the last catch or last throw to uh, Anthony Miller, sorry. That was for the game ceiling touchdown. And it was just an exciting game. And you have that happen. And at the end of the game, I think a lot of us were like, well, why were we down that much the lines in the first place? But then at the same time, you're riding off the euphoria of being one and oh. So you're just happy that they were able to come back. It was an exciting game. It was such a cool way to start the year. And that that fired me up a lot. Bears 36, Texans 7. Mitch Trubisky, 24 for 33, 267 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Monty, 11 carries for 113 yards, a 10.3 yard per carry average, and he had a touchdown. Robinson, A-Rob was nine receptions, 123 yards uh, and a touchdown. I mean, I realize it was the Texans. I realize they're in disarray. But we've, you know, our disappointment and frustration with a sputtering offense is well-documented. I mean, we all loathe watching it. And so that was a game that was super fun to watch because the offense just kicked ass. I mean, they hit on all cylinders. And, uh, you know, again, I realize you know, the Texans had a rough year, but there was a couple of games there in a row where they, they just really hit on offense. They had 23 points in the second quarter. I mean, that's just things that we don't see. So I just, I just enjoyed watching that game personally. Mike, what about you? Win of the year. Mm, I go back and forth on a couple games, actually, that nobody's listed so far. So I'm going to choose one that really got me excited, and that was week three against the Falcons. And I know this might be kind of an unpopular opinion because they pulled Mitch in that game, but Nick Foles with that, like, black visor, right? 
killer assassin looking looking quarterback coming in throwing three touchdowns in the fourth quarter uh to win the game you know telling anthony miller just go to the c or something he told him to go to some letter in the in the end zone um and then you know there was some really great content that came out on on twitter uh just like showing Nick Foles with that like killer assassin looking visor and we're like, wow, maybe we actually do have a sweet quarterback and maybe pulling Mitch was a really good idea. Turned out it was a bad idea, but at the time it was really, really exciting. So I'm going to go week three uh, against the Falcons with uh, killer Nick. The visor didn't last. Nick Foles didn't last. I just had to take a shot there, Mike. Sorry about that. But you know what? None of it lasted. And so, Logan, you are a genius of a human being. You, you, you stole it from me as well. I, I couldn't agree with you more. That week one win happening in the fourth quarter, the Bears lost pretty much the entire game. And all of a sudden, the lights just came on for Mitch. 242 yards, three touchdowns, a 104 quarterback rating, uh, continuing his dominance against the Detroit Lions as he should. The the thing about this game that stood out to me was all of the what could be. What could be in this game? It, it was an exciting time of the season. BDR was just getting really rocking and rolling, and it was, it was a fun time. All right. Let's switch gears here, gentlemen. Let's go to the toughest loss of the year. Now, for this one, Jack, I'm coming to you first. The toughest loss of the 2020 season. You know, I think the loss to the Saints was excruciating. You know, I, it's hard for me maybe to fully explain it. You know, there's times I think where you just kind of separate yourself from the game because you find yourself really frustrated on a Sunday. And you think to yourself, why am I so mad? This is a game. I'm a fan. Chill out. There's other times where you just have hope. And, you, you know, you're in a playoff game. And I think it was the fact that it was a culmination of all the frustrations you know, that we've witnessed throughout the year, the play calling, the lack of discipline, the penalties, the lack of game flow, the lack of rhythm, the ejections. I mean, and the game was within reach. And so I don't know, maybe I just woke up on the wrong side. Maybe I didn't have enough, you know, enough of a really good smooth whiskey that day. I'm not sure what it was, but man, I was just irate that particular day. And without a doubt for me, at least, you know, that, that last game they, you know, they, they lost to the Packers and then they lose to New Orleans. And that was just a kick in the gut for me. I'm going to go um, the Detroit Lions in week 13. We lost 34 to 20. No, 34 to 30. Yeah, that's right. Um, Matt Stafford, I think, threw for something like 400 yards and um that was a brutal loss because it was a it was uh we gave up the lead uh near the end and it was to the lions and i hate the lions really more than any other franchise out there i think maybe because uh when i was growing up they were really dirty they were a super dirty team uh who's that could jim schwartz right? I think a lot of those Lion teams led by Jim Schwartz were just dirty and miserable teams. That, ugh, it was disgusting. So to, 
to lose to the Lions is really embarrassing and it's just sad. And to do so in, in that kind of fashion where you give up a lead in the fourth quarter, the quarterback throws for 400 yards and your defense is just getting picked apart, which is supposed to be your strength. Um, that one hurt, I think, a lot for sure. I think it's absolutely insane that nobody has picked the game that I'm picking right now, and that is the November 29th, 41-25 to loss to the Green Bay Packers in Lambeau Field, national television, and God knows anybody out there who's listening and hears that score, 41-25, everybody knows it wasn't that close. That wasn't a 16-point game. That was a 35-point loss. That was an absolute embarrassment to your arch rival, the only team – Sorry, not the only team. The one team that you really, really, really want to beat. And Aaron Rodgers did everything that he wanted. The defense for the Bears brought nothing. The offense brought nothing. We were outscored 35-7 to between the second quarter and the third quarter. It was a pure and absolute embarrassment, and that was the toughest loss of the year. Logan, to that point, that's, that's a game that I circled and then I crossed out. I think the only reason I'm not agreeing with you on this one is because I think I somewhat expected it. At that point of the season, they were in the middle of a six-game losing streak. The team looked to be abysmal, and I just expected that one more. I think the second Green Bay loss hurt to me more just because we had this false hope of a three-game win streak, and then that just kind of sputtered out. But I have to agree with with Mike Page. Mike, uh, you shouldn't lose to the Detroit Lions. The Bears are an incredibly dysfunctional organization, which we have highlighted many, many times. I love this team, but they are dysfunctional. The one team right now that is more dysfunctional is the Detroit Lions. There's an opportunity that the Bears have here to let the Lions pass them up. But uh, for a couple years there, during the uh, end of the John Fox era, as well as the end of the Mark Tressman era, we were losing to Detroit twice a year. That's how you knew we were in the middle of a rebuild. The Chicago Bears should not lose to the Detroit Lions, and especially in the stunning fashion, which they did. I'm not even going to throw out any stats. That game just, it shouldn't have happened. They shouldn't have lost. And that was one of the games where I looked at Matt Nagy and said, you lost this game for the Chicago Bears. Mitchell Trubisky is driving down the field, and then Allen Robinson decides not to dive for a first down, and then Matt Nagy calls one of the stupidest play calls that he has called all season long, a run that just gets blown up, no creativity. That, that dude is just the world's worst play caller, and that's when we knew this team is not going anywhere. They're not going to fix anything. This is the bottom. The play of the year. Gentlemen, this is one where we're going to have to describe just a little bit what game was going on, what the play was as best you can. Mike, we're going to start with you, and then we're going to go to Logan, Jack, and I will finish it up. So I am going to go back to the well, back to the week one well, and I'm going to go with that pass from Mitch Trubisky to Anthony Miller to win the game against the Lions. It was a 27-yard strike Trubisky put it exactly where it was. Yeah, that's right, Dangle. You're the one who's hosting it. You should have gone first. <laughs> Mitch put it exactly where it needed to go. And as much as I've been an Anthony Miller hater and will continue to be, it was a phenomenal catch by Anthony Miller. Stood up and did Anthony Miller things. But it was, it was an insane play. And it was such a cool cap to that very impressive comeback. 
Jack, I don't want to steal your, your space, but I'm going to do it really quick just because this is going to happen with, with me going last. Um, Logan, I just think this accentuates how brilliant you are. I went back and I watched that throw a few times. That was why all of us that still support Mitch Trubisky watch that throw and go, that couldn't have been any better. The, 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 the touchdown throw that Javon Wims dropped in the Saints game, I'm sure that'll be talked about. That was probably also one of the throws that makes you go, I, I, I still think that this guy can be a quarterback in the NFL if he had the proper coaching, but I'm, but I'm, I'm past that now. We're, we're, we're done talking about that. But Logan, two minutes left on the clock. It's the fourth quarter. Mitch throws an absolute dime, as you put it. And I go back to that same point before is thinking Mitch has finally turned the corner. This is it. This is, this is how it's going to happen. Jack, sorry to interrupt you, buddy, but I just had to pat Logan on the back for being such a genius. Yeah, no, I mean, and if Logan's a genius, then I'm trying to decide what that makes me because a minute 59, fourth quarter, first and 10 on the 33 going in, Anthony Miller lined up on the right side in the slot. He's got one-on-one -on -one coverage. He runs an out and up. And as you guys have already well documented, Mitch drops back. He even looks off the safety, gentlemen. He even looks off the safety. I watched it a couple times today too. Couldn't have been a better ball. The, the, the defensive back was draped on Anthony Miller. I mean, the, the, I don't think that didn't, there was one of those plays where it didn't matter what the DB did. Uh, he wasn't going to be a factor because of the route that was run and where the ball was placed. So they were down 23 to 20 with, like you said, under two minutes to go. I mean, that was, that was freaking clutch. That was cool. That may be one of Mitch's best throws of his career. Mike, do you got to play for us? I do. And this was in a game that was almost my best win uh, of the year. It was against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And that was almost my best win of the year because it was against Tom Brady. and We had never beaten Tom Brady before. And to do so, uh, you know, in – uh, in Chicago was pretty cool, but uh, really one of my favorite offensive plays this year that just kind of sticks in my mind and it just never left is uh, a Jimmy Graham touchdown in which he grabbed a ball from Nick Foles uh, in coverage with one arm and he caught it one handed at the back of a touchdown uh, at the back of the end zone. And at that point I was starting to, really questioned my criticism of Jim, Jimmy Graham and my criticism of signing Jimmy Graham. And that catch was just so great uh, in coverage for, for a touchdown. Uh, I think that one really sticks out for me a lot for this year. So gentlemen, that was our first closest to a consensus pick with three out of the four staff writers going in the direction of the uh, Mitch Trubisky to Anthony Miller fourth quarter Lions week one. So that one we will have to put out on Twitter as our uh, play, our near consensus play of the year. Fans, if you're listening to this right now and you haven't gone back to watch it, go back and watch it again. I must have watched it six or seven times and if you didn't know it was Mitch Trubisky uh, making that throw, you, you would think you were watching an elite quarterback do it. And 
you have to give credit where credit is due. Now, to this next award, we're going to go with the biggest disappointment of the 2020 season. I like the way that Logan wrote this one out because it could be a coach, it could be a play, it could be a player, it could be absolutely anything about the Chicago Bears as the biggest disappointment of 2020. Now, I am going to go in and I'm going to steal this one. I'm going to start, it off, start us off on this one just a little bit. And I'm going to go, and this will come as no shock to any of you, Matt Nagy. This stubborn, refusing to give up, play calling, status quo, not changing things. And in the middle of the season, I wanted to give him credit for giving up play calling duties. But like a little kid who cannot keep their hand out of the cookie jar, he had to go back in Rappaport reporting that he became, quote unquote, more involved in play calling. Everyone could see it, uh, that they decided to give up on the run. I don't know why this guy hates to run the football, especially in Chicago, especially with a running back like David Montgomery in the backfield. It was clearly working. And I just don't know how you could pick anything other than Matt Nagy had such high hopes for him. From here, we're going to go Logan, Jack, and finish with Mike. I think you are certainly not wrong about Matt Nagy, Dingle. He was quite a disappointment. But for me, the theme of the Bears, as everybody knows, is that failed quarterback. And we had another new one this year, and his name was Nick Foles. He's a guy that you, you traded and you took on a big contract. And he produced 1,852 yards, 10 touchdowns, eight interceptions. He was intercepted on 2.6% of his pass attempts, which was the worst of his career since when he was with the Rams in 2015. His yards gained per pass completion was 9.2. That was a career low. Uh, the Bears were 2-5 and five in games, which Nick Foles started. And to be honest, I, maybe this was just me, but... When we brought him in, I was preaching just, hey, maybe he's just going to be consistent. That's all this Bears team felt like it needed was just a consistent quarterback, not a special quarterback. I thought the defense could then carry them. Boy, was I wrong. Nick Foles was so, so damn awful at playing quarterback. And for me, he was the disappointment of the year. I'm going to go back to the defensive line. And you could, if you wanted to, you could do Robert Quinn. You could pick Khalil Mack. And this might be controversial because I know, Ryan, you're you know, pretty high on him. But I think you could even uh, potentially put some of the blame, you know, for that uh, you know, lack of success on Jay Rogers. And I know he's maybe in the, in, the, in the discussion for being, you know, the defensive coordinator. Side note, I don't know if you guys saw the uh, Bears are – asking to talk to the uh, DC for the Colts, which is kind of exciting because their defense didn't suck this past year. But uh, again, I, I just think the problem with the, with the, um, the D line is, is not the run stop. I believe they were 12th in the league, which is substantial. That's, that's really good uh, in terms of stopping the run. Uh, but when it comes to the uh, pass, they were uh, or the pass rush win rate. So if you look at, the, the team with the best pass rush win rate. That's meaning that time after time, if you're matched up against an O-lineman, you're able to win that one-on-one -on -one battle. So if the Pittsburgh Steelers were at a 54% team pass rush win rate, it's a mouthful, uh, the, uh, the Chicago Bears were 
38%. They were 25th in the league. So I think, I mean, it's not so much of a pass league anymore. It seems like there's more of a balance for sure. But if there's that much of an imbalance between your ability to stop the run and your ability to put any pressure on a quarterback, we all know that's going to have a ripple effect in terms of your coverage and the success of your LBs and your, and your DBs. And so, I don't know. I was just disappointed. It, it's great to watch them stop the run and stuff the run. There's no doubt about it. But there were some moments in key games this particular year where we just couldn't get a pass rush, and that was maddening. This is easy for me because I could just preach what I've been preaching, which is Eddie Jackson. I mean, he was paid $14 million this year to go go to work, and he didn't show up to work. He half-assed almost every single game uh, this season. It's unacceptable, the level of effort that he put in. And you could just see it. It's, it's obvious. It's not, like, debatable either. No one can come to me and be like, oh, yeah, on this play, you could tell that he's giving an effort. No, no. He's, he obviously, objectively, was not giving an effort. And I think that sense of an obvious, uh, you know, missing of, of any kind of effort is, is the biggest disappointment for me, especially because Bojack talks a big game. He's got a big mouth and he's very rah, rah. And then when he goes out on the field, he plays like, um, you know, a youth football cornerback who's always your worst player scared to tackle. That's exactly what it looked like. And we paid him absurd amounts of money that is going to be having huge ramifications for future free agency. And, you know, we're going to have to make some really hard decisions uh, because of, of that disappointment. So Eddie Jackson, you get my disappointment uh, of the year. Non, not very surprisingly. I love this next award, Logan. And I applaud you yet again, the bear you'd most like to have a beer with. Jack, I'm going to go to you first, then we'll go Mike, Logan, and I'll finish it up. To me, the guy on the team that seems to have the most personality, and there's a few folks in this conversation, maybe Cordell, Cordero Patterson would be in the conversation is a lot of personality, but I think Tariq Cohen would be really fun. I don't even know if the dude drinks or not, but in terms of just being an all out personality, a guy that you think would probably just kick back, have a huge smile on his face the entire time, laugh and tell stories. I think he would be a really fun person to have a beer with. I also just know a little bit from personal experience because my son Connor is involved with, you know, Shriners and the bears are, it's really cool. The bears go to Shriners hospital, uh, Chicago, and they play basketball and they play pool with the kids. And the stories that Connor brought back in terms of, you know, just playing basketball with, with Tariq and his mouth kind of running the whole time and him being five, six, you know, just so much energy seems like a really cool down to earth guy. Besides being the human joystick, you know, I think that's the guy I would choose to have a beer with. I'm going to go Cody Whitehair. And I think there's something to having a beer with a giant offensive lineman. You know, good story, actually, and uh, very appropriate for this podcast. 
at basketball games, you know, sometimes they show people in the stands that are like football players or baseball players and they're there visiting their local basketball team. And it was the Milwaukee Bucks and they were showing uh, uh, David and Aaron Rodgers. And first they showed Aaron Rodgers and they, you know, when they show Aaron Rodgers on TV, you're supposed to chug a beer. And Aaron Rodgers could not finish a beer. Who can't fit? Who, what football player can't finish a beer in one, like, you know, throat back? I mean, it's ridiculous. And then it like pans to Bakhtiari, who then like pounds like two in a row, like easy. And I just have a feeling that like Cody might be able to do that. And I know I could do that. So, and Cody's kind of seems like a quiet guy too, that like, you know, maybe after a few beers in him, he'll get, you know, kind of uh, maybe a little bit rowdy, maybe telling some stories I think would be pretty funny. Um, okay. So I was all the way through this podcast. I was along Jack's thinking and I had Tariq Cohen written down, but then I started thinking about it a little bit more and I, to be able to sit down and have a beer with Akeem Hicks, nobody on this team is funnier than that guy. I think that in the, in the past I've, I've said a thing or two maybe about his effort level, but really at the end of the day, I think that he just loves playing the game of football and his mic'd ups are hilarious. You're telling me that that guy wouldn't be awesome to sit down and have a beer with. Now he, we, you know, let's say, let's say we have a good time and we drink, you know, six or seven beers. I would probably get hammered and he would probably feel nothing because he's a behemoth of a human being, but just a really hilarious dude. He seems very down to earth. He seems like a great guy. And uh, I would slam some beers with Keem Hicks. And I'm going to go with one. And I don't think any of you guys are going to expect this, especially considering how much I have railed on this dude all season long. Matt Nagy. I want to have a beer with Matt Nagy. I, I like this guy. And I want to make sure that everybody that's listening to this understands this is not personal. I would very much like to hang out with this guy. I would love to talk football with him. I would love to know what it was like to be in decision rooms. I know he wouldn't share that openly, but we're just pretending this is going to happen anyway. I would love to know what it's like to sit in that head seat. Uh, what was it like deciding, hey, I'm going to put the I formation as my very first play call as the Chicago Bears head coach. I still give that dude a lot of props for that. I don't want him running my football team. I, I, I don't want him anywhere near that but I would love to sit down and have a beer with him. Okay, moving on. We have only one consensus so far. Uh, this is one where right off the bat, Jack, I'm going right after you, the coach of the year. Uh, you just dogged him, and I am actually going to give him my coach of the year. That's Jay Rogers on the defensive line, and I want to I talk about why. Eddie Goldman plugging up the middle allows Akeem Hicks to do what he does and also allows Khalil Mack to do what Khalil Mack has done in the past. With Eddie Goldman out, you're kind of putting in Bilal Nichols, you're kind of putting in Akeem Hicks, it's putting added pressure on him. Now I think if you watch this season, guys that stood out, Mario Edwards Jr., not on this team at the beginning of this season, Bilal Nichols, who was a guy who had a couple plays, but these guys developed this season, and I think that is very much to Jay Rogers. If this guy is not the next Chicago Bears defensive coordinator, he's going to be headed to hang out with Brandon Staley, who 
should have been the Bears defensive coordinator instead of Chuck Pagano. And I, I like this guy a lot. It seems to be that it's either Desai or Rogers is, is the internal candidates for the Chicago Bears. They may have the guy on this roster, uh, and I'll be curious to see it. From here, we're going to go Mike, Logan, and then Jack. Feel free to, uh, to throw, me, uh, throw me a shot after this. Jack, we haven't argued in a, in a long time, so I just felt like it was time to get that going. It was appropriate. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll come back after these guys go and tell you why you're wrong. All right, I'll go. So I'm going to go with Charles London, running backs coach. And I'm going to say that because David Montgomery had one hell of a year. And he had one hell of a year with significantly less touches than the other running backs that had 1,000 yards. He was a top five back this year with significantly less touches, uh, probably the most broken tackles per touch in the entire league. You can see that he was running hard. When he had his opportunities, he played really, really well. And um, I just really love how David Montgomery progressed this year. And I'm going to go with Charles London um, as a result. For me, the coach of the year has been leading the Bears bread and butter over the last 10 to 15 years. That's special teams, and that's Chris Tabor. Um, you look at Cairo Santos, all that he did. He was everything that we wanted and more. Cordero Patterson, all pro kick returner. Pat O'Donnell even. He tied for third in the NFL in punts inside the 20 with 28 allowed no touchdowns, no punts were blocked. I feel like the kickoff coverage was pretty solid all year long. There was really nothing to complain about with the job that Chris Tabor did yet again for the Chicago Bears. And if anything, that was probably the unit that was by far the most consistent and the one that you could kind of rely on from week to week basis. So I do feel like pointing out that Chris Tabor deserves a lot of credit for really nailing down one aspect of this team and uh, he gets my coach of the year. So I'm willing to admit that the deficiencies with the D line, Ryan could be with personnel. You know, if you, I suppose if you don't have great edge rushers or if, you know, one of your best edge rushers is playing for the Rams, <laughs> which is just so hard to watch, you know, wow. Malcolm Floyd apparently is a very good rusher. Who knew? Um, but anyway, I'm going to go uh, with Juan Castillo. I mean, I think the offensive line coach for the Chicago Bears is a, just like offensive linemen and their names. I don't think you generally know the name of the offensive line coach, but a lot of times in sports and especially in football, you, you talk about making, you know, lemonade out of lemons or chicken salad out of chicken shit. And think about what this guy did. I mean, some of it was out of necessity, right? Because of injury and having to shovel guys, shuffle guys around. Um, but what I guess I didn't maybe know so much about, uh, you know, Juan Castillo is that dude's got a, a history. He's got 24 seasons coaching in the NFL. And when he was coaching, for instance, uh, you know, uh, with the Eagles from 98 to 2010, uh, they made nine playoff appearances, rushed for an average of 1,854 yards and 12 touchdowns per game. And the Eagles ranked fifth in the NFL with 145.2 yards per game on the ground. He was 
responsible partially for Flacco having the best year that he's ever had. I, I mean, honestly, I don't think I knew enough about the guy personally. And as I started to dig a little deeper into what he's done, I'm even that more, that, that much more impressed with what he did with that offensive line, which I mean, I think we all agreed was just dirt bad at the beginning of the year. And you could tell that his influence had an impact on that running game. And Mike or David Montgomery, he clearly benefited from the improvement that that offensive line made. So I hope that, I hope that only gets better through the draft or through free agency. You keep that guy around and, and we've all talked about it. If the offensive line becomes efficient and dominant, we've got a totally different Bears team. Jack, I got to give you props. I really, really do. Just because Sam Mustafer, Alex Bars, their development this season was really clear. Uh, Sam Mustafer, I think, has developed into a starting center. I'm not joking about this. I legitimately had a moment where I said he might be my offensive MVP, how much he changed things as he started to develop and really claim that center spot. Uh, John Nofke is uh, a friend of ours and he's going to talk offensive line. So look out for that podcast that's, that's coming in soon. Logan, I also seriously major, major props on, on, on that one. Mike, I'm not trying to dog you in any way, but I just, he, uh, neither of the guys that, that Jack just talked about or that Logan talked about were on my radar whatsoever. This is one where I think there may be a consensus, but I'm going to put it out there anyway. We're moving on to rookie of the year. The Bears had a couple good ones, which we can get into later, but thinking uh, that, that there are three probably that stand out more than the others. That's Darnell Mooney, uh, Jalen Johnson, and Cole Komet. Cole Komet probably not getting enough touches, but someone that I know that I'm pretty excited about. And I, I think a lot of Bears fans are excited to see where it happens. All right, so for this one, we're going to go Logan, Jack, Mike, and I will finish it up. Rookie of the year. Logan, who's your guy? It has to be Darnell Mooney. That man, 631 yards, four touchdowns, doesn't exactly really jump off the page at all. But he really didn't come on until later in the year. And once he did, I mean, he had a touchdown or 39-plus receiving yards in all of the last final five games. He started to become a consistent threat. He is so much fun to watch run routes. That man is a technician, and he does what he does very, very well. You even saw him start to catch some deep balls with the catch against the Packers, which was 50-plus yards or so. He, his ceiling is very, very high, and obviously you want to be able to bring back Allen Robinson because you're going to need two to three quality, high-quality receivers to have a really well-functioning offense. But at least he gives you one receiver one receiving weapon next year guaranteed that's going to come in and is going to be able to play the position very very well so props to Matt or sorry not props to Matt Nagy props to Ryan Pace for picking a guy and really hitting on it I'm gonna go rookie out of Utah uh Dalen Johnson I mean I know he's got the shoulder injury and I I know he didn't finish out the year on the on the field but I'll give, you know, Ryan, I'll give you a ton of credit on this one. You were all over, you know, the effectiveness of our corners. You know, and I think at one point, and I, I would imagine you can probably recall the stats that, you know, they were two of the best corners in the league, actually. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag with him. He is incredibly 
aggressive. And so while early in the year he was responsible for the most pass breakups and some of the best pass defense, he was also the most penalized rookie (laughs) early on in the season. I guess I'll take it. You know, I mean, as a cornerback who is a rookie, when you're playing against some of the best And we all know we've seen it in these playoff games. I mean, if they can find a quarter to pick on, they're going to pick on them. And and there was a few games where they tried to pick on on Jalen, and it was a no-go. Man, he stood up big time and played very, very well. You know, so, I mean, it really – I mean, it's hard to go against Arnell Mooney. I think, like, you could choose either one of them and be right about it. Um, But I was impressed with with the way that Jalen Johnson played. Yeah, I – I really like Jalen Johnson too. Uh, I think that when we first drafted him in the second round, a lot of people were, were saying that he was a steal, that uh, he's a first round talent, but what they were forgetting was that he had three, count them, three shoulder surgeries uh, within the past four years. And so as a person that's had shoulder surgery on my labrum as he had on both shoulders, by the way. Um, I can tell you that it's brutal and my shoulder is not the same. Granted, my uh, surgeon and my recovery process was probably not as monitored uh, as, as his, but I mean, I got a scream that I was right again on this one because you know, I always said his success is going to depend on him staying on the field. And the fact that he missed the end of the season in this fashion um, worries me a lot for the future. And I know Darnell Mooney was also out for the last game of the season, but I'm going to go Darnell Mooney as my rookie of the year. I'm pretty sure that he had the most receptions as a rookie wide receiver in Bears history which is incredible. And for someone that is kind of small, skinny, uh, he's not very heavy. Um, You know, I saw him when I was doing some film breakdowns, busting his tail blocking. This dude pushes um, safeties and, and quarterbacks, even linebackers, uh, a good few feet. I mean, he busts his tail and, you know, I really like the story about how he put a jugs machine in his living room, in his house. He's got a jugs machine shooting balls at him while he's chilling on the couch. I mean, that's dedication. That is, uh, something that I love to see. And he's really flashy. Those deep plays are so fun and he's, he's really slick. I mean, on the play that he, got injured on, for example, he broke three tackles uh, before I believe it was Adrian Amos that actually ended up taking him down, which let's not get started on that, but he's slippery. He, I think he had the most broken tackles of any rookie bears, actually of any rookie wide receiver in the NFL. I will bet I will stand on that ground that he had the most broken tackles Uh, for any wide receiver in the NFL, which is incredible. So I'm going to go Darnell Mooney, love Jalen, hope he can stay healthy, but I'm going, uh, I'm going Darnell. Obviously it's, it's between one of these two guys. 
the record for rookie wide receivers for the Chicago Bears had stood since 1954. Darnell came in with 61 receptions, breaking that record. Uh, that's pretty incredible. But I, I, I have to go back to Jalen Johnson. The cornerback position is so insanely difficult to play. I can't fault a guy for injury. I don't think that has anything to do with his, his play necessarily. So my, my guy has to be Jalen Johnson. Um, I have to give a huge shout out to one Logan Bradley, who in a text message to me said, hey, watch for the Bears to maybe take Jalen Johnson, cornerback out of Utah, this guy could be really, really good, which is one of the reasons why when we have our draft coverage uh, coming up closer to the draft, you've got to make sure you are clued in on the things that Logan has to say. Gentlemen, we've got two awards left, offensive MVP and defensive MVP. The offensive MVP is one that I, I'm, I don't think I think we're going to have different players, but defensive MVP, I think that might be the quickest conversation we've had all night long. So offensive MVP, we're going to go Jack, Mike, Logan, and I will finish up. I think there's two guys that I had written down, either Santos or Monty. I mean, it's hard to deny the effectiveness of Carlos Santos, but, you know, as I was listening to Mike talk a little bit about, you know, David Montgomery, I think what's interesting about the running back position in the city of Chicago is that the standard is sweetness. I mean, the standard is, is number 34, Walter Payton. And what we loved about Walter Payton was the way that he ran and delivered a physical knockout, aggressive style. He, he refused to go down. You know, a hit was not a tackle for Walter Payton. And so from that day on, we've been looking for a running back that would run like that. And we've found him. I mean, I'm not saying that he's in the same conversation in terms of you know, Hall of Fame status and all-time leading rusher, Walter Payton. But if you want a guy who doesn't stop his feet, if you want a guy who has that lean, right? He leans into the defenders and, um, you know, he just has, he has, a, he has a don't quit kind of style of running. Um, an attack. He, you know what we get really frustrated about when we watch running backs, or at least I do, is when, when our running backs don't hit the hole high speed. Like I could have never taken, you know, uh, Le'Veon Bell, for instance. I, I understand that that worked for him with the Jets, you know, where he'd kind of hang back and choose a hole. Fine. Not my style. Like I would just, I want that guy who's downhill, who's hitting that hole as hard as he can, fast and hard and physical. And that's David Montgomery. He's a stud. I agree. I mean, I think that I could easily go with some, some other players, but I think that we've all heard me talk about my love for David Montgomery. Um, and I don't believe that wide receivers are going to be that important uh, in terms of winning Super Bowls, but I do believe that running backs are. So I'm going to go with Dave Montgomery. I just love his running style. I think Jack said it really great. We have a tendency to make the ultimate comparison with all of our running backs to sweetness, which is really unfair. But when you find someone that you watch on a weekly basis that you can really believe in and get behind, and that statistically speaking is top five 
uh, at their position in numerous categories, it's really hard to ignore David Montgomery. So um, count me in for, for another Montgomery vote. All right. So I'm also going with David Montgomery, but for the sake of changing things up, I do kind of want to talk about something a little bit different and something that I don't think I really realized that David Montgomery improved so much as a pass catcher this year. So he almost doubled his target share from his rookie year, went from 35 to 68. And I think that's just trust in the fact that he gets the ball. So that's big. Often you see running backs who are great at running the ball, but can't really catch it. And to know that he has developed that part of his game is huge. Um, He more than doubled his catches. His catch rate increased from 71.4% in his rookie year to 79.4% this season. And he only fumbled once the entire year. So again, everyone knows how good of a rusher he is. Jack and Mike talked about it, but just the fact that he has statistically improved so much from year one to two in being a receiving back. That's so impressive with me or for me when you combine that with his ability to run the ball. Guys, it's hard to argue with 1,508 all-purpose yards. Logan, to your point, from year one to year two, he went from 3.7 yards per carry in 2019 to 4.3 in 2020. But guys, I'm going to be the odd man out here. I got to go Allen Robinson. Every single time the Bears needed a play, Allen Robinson was there. 102 receptions, 1,200 50 yards receiving and six touchdowns. The guy did everything asked of him and then some while he was here. And of course, how did the Bears front office respond to that? They said, you know, well, we're working on it. How did Allen Robinson respond to that? We had 365 days to work on it. So that pretty much means that Allen Robinson is gone. I, for one, loved having him as a Chicago Bear and rooting for him. I am bummed to see him more than likely go. Last one, gentlemen, I have a feeling that this is going to be the quickest conversation. We've been yammering for quite some time now, but I think this one is going to go pretty quick. Our defensive MVP of the season, I'm going to go first. How do you not go? 139 tackles, 18 tackles for a loss, two interceptions, Roquan Smith. That's it. Yeah, I mean, if if the, you know, whoever votes for Pro Bowl and All-Pro aren't going to put him in, I mean, someone's got to give him the accolades that he deserves, right? And so I'm happy to have BDR be that official uh, award-giving kind of entity that will give him the the credentials that that he he deserves. Roquan Smith, it's it's obvious. I think you're right, Mike. That's a lot of clout to be the BDR defensive MVP of the 2020 season. That's something he probably will put up on his mantle and cherish for a long, long time to come. No, I mean, but I I do think he was, uh, he was named all pro, even though he wasn't named to the pro bowl. He was not. I swore to, Oh, wow. That's to add injury to it. Injury to insult seventh. He was seventh in all pro voting. I, I don't know what they were looking at statistics wise. It wasn't close. Roquan was in front of all of them. I don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, we, we, I mean, that was a, that was a, a great selection, you know, by the bears. And we know now that running backs have to not only be able to fill the hole, right? They need to recognize run and they need to come up and fill run hard. Does it. He's physical. 
uh, linebackers have to be able to shed blocks and make tackles. Does it? Here's the key, though. Linebackers need to be able to run laterally. And they need to be able to run laterally, right, side to side, sidelines to sidelines, with the likes of, you know, Kamara and, you know, uh, Dalvin Cook and some of the greatest running backs there are on the planet. And guess who can do it? Roquan, Roquan Smith can do it. Stud. So my defensive MVP is Eddie Jackson. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. It's obviously Roquan Smith. Like Dangle was saying, 139 total tackles, career high. 18 tackles for loss, career high. Six QB hits, career high. Two interceptions, career high. Seven passes defended, career high. And one forced fumble, a career high. Nothing else needs to be said. Roquan Smith is a stud, and he hopefully will be in a Bears jersey for a long, long time. I wish we had like theme music, but that wraps up our 2020 uh, year awards for the Chicago Bears. Just a few. So we're going to go with close to consensus. Uh, we've got two. The play of the year, week one, Mitch to Anthony Miller in the fourth quarter. Uh, rookie of the year, close to it, Darnell Mooney, three out of the four. And the unanimous choice uh, for defensive MVP, Roquan Smith. Gentlemen, really quick, I've got to give a shout out before we get out of here to uh, Unfiltered Bears fan. Mike, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate the shout out on Twitter. Uh, thank you so much for any of you that are listening. Uh, we appreciate everything that you guys are doing for us. Please hit like, please hit subscribe, uh, send us a five-star review. We've been reading some of the reviews that you guys have been putting out there, and we can't tell you how much we appreciate that stuff. Anytime you are sharing Bear Down Report uh, material, content in any way, we are so very thankful. For all of you that are listening, thank you so much. Please make sure you're, you're keeping your eyes peeled. We've got some really good podcasts coming your way for Jack Wright, Logan Bradley, Mike Page. I'm Ryan Dangle. Folks, as always... Bear down.